I, I, um, Elena was teasing me before the services. We have a pre-service meeting where we go over the service and we pray together, all the people involved. And, and she said, you know, last time we were snowed out of church, the next week when you preached that sermon, you made it longer. <laughs> so I probably did it again. But we are coming back to the book of Colossians now. And just to remind you, if, if, you've, if you're new to our church, we've been in the book of Colossians since late summer. And we'll take this through them into February. And we've called the book of Colossians the, the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. That he is supreme over all, is what chapter 1 tells us, over all creation, over everything, the church, over the demonic realm, over everything. Jesus Christ is supreme and his work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection is sufficient to save you. We need to add nothing to it. So anyone who comes along, and someone has come along in the book of Coloss, to say, oh, Jesus is not supreme and his work on the cross is not sufficient. So guess what happens when we determine Jesus is not supreme and his work is not sufficient? You have to add to it. And that's a lie, according to the book of Colossians. So today, we're going to be in chapter 3, verses 1 through... Today we'll look at 1 through 9, 1 through 11. But over the next week, we're going to do 1 through... Excuse me, the next two sermons, today and next week... We're going to do Colossians 1, 3, 1 through 14. Two sermons. So this week will kind of end in the middle of the passage. You've got to come next week. I, I want to really encourage you, if, if, please be here next week if you're in town. If you're not in town, I need you to listen to this online. Because in, this is not an exaggeration. This might be some of my most important messages ever brought to you. And because the word of God is wonderful. The whole thing is incredible. But for my passions of what God has taught me over the last 40-something years of walking with him, and what the truths of this passage today have changed my life radically. And if you watch my Wednesday, my Wednesday message, I send out a Wednesday um, video every week. This week, I use the word radically a lot. But it's true. This passage changed me radically. So let's pray. Father, guide us in your word today. Help me to, to explain what I think is the most important part about this passage, Lord. Uh, give me clarity. Give people open ears and hearts and minds to receive it. Um, just do your work, Father, like no one else can. In Christ's name we thank you. Amen. I've been using a, an imagery over the last, this whole book actually. The idea of you being an instrument in God's hands. Do you want to be an instrument in God's hands as he uses you to carry out his plan in the world. Okay, three of you do. Let me see if the rest of you will do this. Do, <laughs> um, and I know, if you're, if you're here first time since Christmas or you're visiting, I have an incurable problem called sarcasm. I've tried to solve it. Actually, I shouldn't say this because I'm going to say today there's no problem you have that Christ can't solve and hasn't solved. <laughs> So I've chosen not to solve my sarcasm problem. Let me, let me be truthful with you. Um, I think we all want to be used by God. But there's prerequisites. It's not, it's not just believing in Jesus and now we're fit to be used by God all the time. I want you to listen to 2 Timothy 3.16 and 7. It will be on the screen. There's a major reason in this passage that God saved you. And that is to equip you to do every good work. He has saved us to use us as instruments in other people's lives. That's the good works. So listen to this passage. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. So reproof could be the word rebuking. 
So the scripture teaches you, you get off the path. What does it do? It says, hey, dude, where are you going? That's not a good place to go. Puts you back on, corrects you. And for training in righteousness. That, so that, this is the purpose of the scriptures, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So if we go backwards in this, let's start 17. When it says there that God's desire is to use you for every good work. He, he has his purposes in the world and we are his hands. We are his instruments. But to be that sharp instrument, you need to be trained in righteousness. Do you see that? And a primary tool God has for training in righteousness is his word, the scriptures. So do you follow the logic of the passage? God has given us the scriptures to teach us, to rebuke us, to, to correct us, to train us in righteousness so that we are this instrument in God's hands that he can use with efficiency. I don't want to overstate it, but I, Teresa is a phenomenal chef. I'm, I'm her sous chef. I, people ask me, do you cook? I said, no, I chop and stir things. And in um, my chopping, I have to have a sharp knife. So I have a knife sharpener in my knife drawer. Every time I pull a knife out, I sharpen it. Nothing worse than you take a knife to something and it just squishes it. I want that knife to be sharp. That's an instrument in my hands to accomplish its purpose. So that's what we want today. We must be trained in righteousness. I think what we've done here is we've misunderstood Romans 7. Romans 7 is a passage in, in Paul, Paul's greatest letter probably, in there, and you, can, you probably can ex say you've experienced this, where Paul says, why do I do what I don't want to do? Why do I continue to do what I hate? I don't like sinning. Why do I go back to it? How many of you say you can relate to that? Every hand goes up. The problem with that is we've misunderstood it as though that's the normal Christian life. That yes, we're saved and forgiven, but bottom line, sin still controls our lives and we have to sin. And that is an utter lie. We need to rethink the influence of Romans 7 on our daily walk with Christ. And we're going to see that today. Sin is no longer our master. But the question is, what do you believe about that? Do you believe sin is your master? Because you're going to obey the one you think is your master. We'll do more. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Colossians 3, 1 through 14, which covers the next two weeks. Then we'll jump into the first nine or ten verses today and the rest next week. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, which where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. If you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and I've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. 
Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's next week's message right there. But I want you to meditate on this. If you watch my video this week, I ask you to read this passage every day this week. Put on, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That is you before God. That's who he's made you to be. That's next week's message. I can't wait. Put on, then, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so that you also must forgive. And above all these... Put on love, which binds them, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So that's the passage we will look at this week and next week. Let's go back and walk slowly through the first part of this. Just guide us, Father, please. There's a foundational doctrine we must understand. This text brings it out. And that is your union with Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And Ephesians says his ascension too. That is, and I've said, I say this all the time. I bet I've said it once a month since I've been here. And that is, in some very mysterious but real way, when Jesus died on the cross, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if he is your savior, if you've trusted in him, when Jesus died on the cross, you died on the cross. When Jesus was buried in the ground, you were buried in the ground. When Jesus was raised from the dead, you were raised from the dead. Colossians is going to show us this. And then Ephesians adds, when Jesus ascended to the right hand of God, you sit with him right now. That is the foundation of your daily walk with God and your daily walk with one another. We are not someone who's still stuck in slavery to sin. As those two songs we sang today were very clear. We have been raised with Christ. We've been taken from death to life. We saw that in Colossians chapter 1. That we used to belong to the kingdom of darkness. But God rescued us from that. He, he qualified us to share the kingdom of his beloved son. That's our true identity. And we cannot be that sharp instrument trained in righteousness until we, f- I'm not sure we'll ever fully grasp it, but until we start to grasp it and work it into our thinking every day. And that's what this passage is going to tell us to do. So, If you were raised with Christ, Colossians 3.1, seek things above. Look at 3.1 again. If you've then been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Two verbs here we're going to see in verses 1 and 2. Seek things above. And we have to ask the question, first of all, let me back up. If you've been raised with Christ, go back to chapter 2, verse 20. It says, if you died with Christ. So there's a sense we died with him. And the if is not maybe you were, maybe you weren't. It is setting up a, a, an argument. If you've died with Christ, and if you believed in him, you have, then why do you submit to the world's rules? Then he comes, if you've been raised with Christ, and you have, then seek the things that are above. And, and the word seek there is important. You see, we're under a new regime. Um, Sin is no longer our master. The devil is no longer our master. We don't have to submit to him anymore. The things we used to seek were basically, I have a synonym for sin. Uh, my synonym for sin is selfishness. And pretty much when, when I sin, it's because I'm seeking not your will be done, but my will be done. That's selfishness. 
And now I've been freed from that, and I can actually seek things that are honoring to God. Seek things that bring value to your life. Seek what is important to him. He is your savior. He is your creator. He is your Lord. So we are to seek things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Then verse 2, set your mind. This, he kinda, the word seek is a, is, a, is a good strong word, but set your mind intensifies the word. Look at verses 2 through 4. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. The key thing here, maybe we read over, when Christ who is your life. See, the person we were in, see, there's, there's, there's a lie we believe in our country, in our world. That there's a neutral place. That we can be neutral about things. There is no, no neutrality. It's a lie. There's no neutrality. Either you were dead in your sins, and though you may not know this, the devil is your master, or was, or you were alive in Christ, and he is your master. And my life is hidden with him because he is my life. I don't have a life outside of him. There is no living. There is no true life. Biologically, sure, my heart beats, my blood pumps through, my brain works most days. But genuine life, when Jesus says, if you come to me, I will give you life and you will have it abundantly. That's only Jesus. Our life is hidden with him. And when he returns, it will be revealed just exactly the fullness of that life, what it is. So what does set your mind mean? The word set your mind means give careful consideration to something. Be intent upon it. I'd suggest to you, we set our minds on that which is our greatest hope. Think about that statement. We set our minds on that which is our greatest hope. Often we forget where our hope lies. And I know we have hopes in this world. I don't want to undermine that I have a hope in the next three months that Brandon and I do this well for you. Um, and, and, I, and we can pull it off. That can be thwarted though, can it not? Who can thwart that? Satan? Some of you? <laughs> um, the weather last week? Yeah. Um, so, so, but we still have this hope, that, but it's not, it's not our ultimate hope. We don't put the ultimate hope in that. In everything else we hope for in this life, there's something much greater that I must set my mind on and, and be intent on. Hopes in this life we hold on loosely, but hope in Jesus coming again is certain. He will be revealed someday. And then his whole plan and purposes in our lives will come to fulfillment then. And then we will fully understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's focus on that which is important to him and make that important to us. So I guess we need to take a, ask the question, what takes up the majority of your thought life? Too often, and I've said this before, and I don't, I'm not, my goal today is not to create shame and guilt. Uh, that's, shame has been taken away from us. And conviction comes from the Holy Spirit, not your pastor, through the word of God. But I sometimes wonder if I and you 
when we came to Jesus Christ, we simply added him to our lives along with a, a whole array of other things. And I say this many times. Or having come to Jesus Christ, have we made him my life? Have I made him my life? Have you made him your life? Or did you add him to your life? And this is not easy to do. The world tugs at us so hard to focus constantly on what's important to me and my needs as opposed to, Christ, what's important to you? And that's what I want to put my mind on. That is the battle of every day, is it not? Your union with Christ is designed to make you like him. To restore you back to his image. We're going to see that in verse 10. Being his image bearer means that your motives, your thoughts and actions look like his motives, thoughts and actions. So what is our mind on? What do we, we set our minds on? What are we seeking in this life? I think we need to step back and talk to God about it. God, how much of what I seek and how much do I set my mind on? And my, my hopes and dreams and passions and what I put all my energy into, what I, what I write my checks to and all that. How much of it is what's on your heart? As opposed to me saying, God, why don't you bless what's on my heart? And I, this, this, is, this is what's called discipleship. It's growing in this and we all have a lot of room to grow. Every single one of us in this room have a lot of room to grow. And we're here to help each other in that growth. So, he starts off with, seek things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Put your mind on things above where Christ is because he is your life and he's going to return someday and reveal to you your true and full identity. You with me so far? Now let's look at verses 5 through 11. He, he gets stronger. Put to death. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And he names it off. So, oh, let's stop there. Put to death. Now that is strong. I, I never read the King James Version. Any people in here cut their teeth on the King James Okay, um, and, and I, I never did, but, but I've been exposed to it, obviously, and I've read through it, but it's not my daily Bible I read. But in this passage, they say mortify, mortify the flesh. So the old word mortify, kill, put to death. It's, it's a strong idea. So sometimes I like to take an old word we don't use, mortify, to remind us of the intensity of what Paul is saying to us. Put to death that which is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. I'm just going to read through these. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So let's just stop there. I want to walk through this slowly. First of all, put to death what is earthly and you get radical about that which God is radical about. How radical did God get to save you? Did I say that right? How radical did God get to save you from your sins? Extremely radical. He sent his son to die on the cross. So, so Paul here is saying, if God is that radical about bringing holiness to your life, should we not be that radical in pursuing what he's provided? It's just not a download he downloads on you. Oh, now you're all there. 
We have to seek these things. We have to set our mind on them. We have to put to death that which is earthly in us. So let's just quickly walk through those. Sex, the first ones all deal with physical passions that tend towards sexuality. Sexual immorality. First of all, is sex evil? I really want to hear confidence there. Is sex evil? It's a beautiful thing. It's a gift from God. But and I always say this. Food and sex are gifts from God. One gives us life. One sustains our life. But we can misuse them and destroy our life with both of them. So sexual immorality, the word there is porneia, where we get our word pornography from. Put it to death. And, and, and when our whole world is screaming at us and constantly images and on TV and everything else that if it feels good, do it philosophy, this is something we must take serious. Because if, if we're neutral or we think we're neutral, it'll kill us because you're not neutral. There's no neutrality. Put to death what is earthly in you. The first thing he mentions what's earthly in you is sexual immorality. Then impurity, a similar word, similar category. Um, passion. And, and some, some passive, um, um, evil passions. And then it says evil desires, cravings. So we all crave things, right? Is it wrong to have cravings? Is it wrong to have passion? But when they go towards those areas of misusing God's gifts, there is a pleasure for a time. I mean, sexual immorality brings pleasure for a time, a short time. If I want to go back to the food one, and I'll bring that up again. I'm married to a lady that cooks like you wouldn't believe. And sometimes I imbibe, is that the, imbibe the word? I, I, I feed it a trough. I mean, I dive in head first. <laughs> and then two hours later, and then the pleasure of the moment is amazing. Two hours later, oh, what have I done? <laughs> so that's kind of benign. But you get the idea. But we can take those ideas, the passion he's given us, the passions, the cravings, and turn around to what is good in life. We'll talk about that. On account of these things, and then covetousness, which is idolatry. Paul always puts that in the middle of his, his list of things don't do. Covetousness, which is idolatry. And that one's a slippery one. We can slide into that like the frog in the frying pan and not even know we're doing it. Until all of a sudden we look and say that... My possessions control my life. They've now replaced Jesus as my idol, my Lord. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. You see, this is what you were saved from. God saved you from the passions and evil desires of the flesh and, and, and covetousness. He saved you from those things controlling your life. Now he says, now put them to death in your life. Because we've practiced them so long that they're part of our life. They're part of our habits. They're a reflex to us. We need to develop new reflexes. You must put them all away. Now he gives another list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So Paul starts, he does this, he does this in, in multiple places in his writings. He starts with the, the area of, of sexual immorality and, and impassions that we have that tend to go towards physical pleasures. He lists these things. These are not who you are anymore. Don't do these things. You were saved from these things. 
Then he, in the middle of it, he regularly puts idolatry to money. Then he brings up the idea of the sins of the mouth. Let me read those again. Think about this week in your life. Anger, wrath, malice. What is malice, by the way? I can be angry and not commit malice. Ill will. I'm going to say something bad about Joe. But not in front of Joe, of course. Sorry, Joe, you said it, so I'm using you. Slander, obscene talk from your mouth. And do not lie to one another, seeing you have put off the old self with its practices. Whenever I look at the clock, I always go, oh, no, he's adding something. I want to give you another imagery. We've used in Colossians, you were dead in your sins. You were, you were, were um, covered the kingdom of darkness. But God made you alive, transferred the kingdom of the Son. We get that, right? There's another image he uses in Romans and in 1 Corinthians. That is, prior to Jesus, you were in Adam. Okay? Adam, who turned his back on God and fell and, and, and became a sinner, well, we were in Adam. So we lived the life of our father, Adam. The scripture tells us, 2 Corinthians specifically, that, or 1 Corinthians 15, that a second Adam came, Jesus. And he transferred us from the first Adam's domain to his domain and reversed everything from the first Adam in our life. Now we have life. Now there's joy. All the fruit of the spirit are in the second Adam. But there's still something hanging on to us, the old man. The, the, the Greek says the old man, just says the old person or the, who you used to be. It's, there's remnants of him in me because I practiced it for so long. And it'll be in me until Christ returns and changes this whole body into being like his. It's not my core identity. The old person is not my identity, but definitely has influence on my day-to-day life. And it's always, not to overuse the little demon on his shoulder here, saying, come on, Tony, you can do that. You know, there's no consequences if you do that. Go ahead, lose your temper. Call that person a bad name. Look at pornography. Whatever it is, our issues. There's no consequences. We still have that voice. It's not our true identity. That voice, the old man, the old woman in you, does not own you. It has no authority over you. Only what you give it. And Paul's whole point here is, seek things above. Think on things above. Put to death those things. Get radical. Did you remember when Jesus said the parable? It's a strong parable. I don't know if it's a parable, just an imagery. He said, um, if your right hand causes you to stumble, what do you do to it? Cut it off. If your right eye causes you to stumble, what do you do to it? Poke it out. When I went to Grace Church in 1994, when I got on staff there 29 years ago, there was a guy with an eye patch. And so I asked some of the other people, I said, so what happened to his eye? Oh, he was reading that verse, he took a screwdriver to it. Um, do you think that causes sin problem? I mean, it's cured his sin problem? Now, Jesus wasn't being literal. But he was giving you an extreme thing, as Paul does, put to death. He's saying, get radical about your sin behavior. Get radical about what God has saved you from. Don't let it, be, don't let it define you. Don't let it be your daily activities because you don't have to do that. You've been rescued from that and empowered to live differently. And that's what sometimes I don't believe. Because I've gone back to the trough so many times 
do I really have the power through the Spirit of God not to feed at that trough again? And what is the answer to that? Do I really have the power? What is the answer? 100% yes. But this thing, seek things above. Put your mind on things above. Put to death. These are daily things we have to do. Or that old man comes back and just subtly gets influence again. Because I'll give in to little temptations. And giving in to the little temptations bring the moderate temptation or the medium temptations which give to the big temptations. And next thing you know, I'm drowning in slavery again because I chose it. I fully believe this, that Satan has nothing in you or me that we don't give him. We've been delivered from his kingdom. He is not our master. Michelle, say amen to that. Let me say it again. Satan has nothing in you. We've been delivered from his kingdom. We are not his master. Thank you. Where was I? I've seen talk, do not lie to one another. That's a hard one. Seeing that you have put off the old self with his practices and put on the new. So, this idea of putting off is more than developing new habits. It's developing new passions that drive the habits of your life. Because you know, they say, you know, if you do something so many times a day, then you'll develop a new habit. Do you ever heard that? I, I, I suppose it's true. It's sure a lot easier to develop a bad habit. I only got to do that once or twice and it's back. <laughs> but to develop a new habit. But I would say this, there's too, many, too much self-help thinking of Christianity that misses the first part. We need to develop a new passion. What is the passion of your life? I.e., Jesus is your life. If he is your passion, that then informs the habits of my life. It gives me a foundation why I would want to change my habits. Why I would want to certain ter- turn certain TV shows off. Because, not because it's, we're, we're self-righteous, legalistic people who say don't watch TV. But there's certain things I watch on TV that develop my thinking patterns and start forming my character. And that's that little voice that slowly speaks to me. There's certain things I should not watch on TV. There's certain things I should not listen to. There's certain things I should not look at. David said he's committing himself not to put any evil before his eyes. In the Psalms he said that. What we should do no less. Those are the new habits that come from a passion to honor my Savior. A passion is something that you want to satisfy. And so the satisfaction is the behavior. I use this, it's a bad analogy, so forgive me. I make the joke about I serve two idols, food and fitness. I only serve one at a time. And it's called a 20-pound shift. This time of year, I've been serving the idol of food. Every October, I go to that idol. Then about February, March, I'm disgusted, and I go back to the idol of fitness. You see, what drives my eating habits is, is I have this passion for pleasure. Then when I realize that pleasure has brought 20 pounds, then I have a passion for looking better in the mirror. And I don't want to spend more money on pants because I have to leave the top button unbuttoned because it doesn't fit anymore. Just being honest, you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, I can just work on my, just knuckle down the will and do, do better. As opposed to a passion to say, even in what I eat, honoring God, even my workout, why do I do it? It shouldn't be simply because of, of 
carnal pleasure or looking good in a mirror. It should be, I want to be an instrument in God's hands. That what I eat and how I, how I work out affects my health. That I can be available to him and not taken out because I'm sick. Does that make sense? That's the passions. Okay, so I told you it was going to be long. I'm going to go to Romans 6 and, and read this to you and show you how Paul lays this out. and confirms what we're talking about. Romans 6, 6 through 14. I'm just going to walk through it. Um, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So who was the old self? The person we were in Adam. But that, that died on the cross. And because that died on the cross, that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Did you die with Christ? then you've been set free from sin. It's not your master. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Since we're in Christ, he will never die again. So if we're in Christ, guess what? We're secure in this thing called life because he is. And death no longer has dominion over him. Verse 10, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. He did it one time for all of us. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So also you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. There's similar to Paul. Think on things above. Put to death the deeds of the body. You also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. When you're alive, you live for something. What are we living for? Who are we living for? Verse 12, let, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God first. That's the idea of the passion of God as those who have been brought from death to life and the members of your bodies as instruments for righteousness. That's being a tool in God's hand. For sin will not have dominion over you since you were not under law but under grace. So do not... So every day I have decisions to make. I've been born again. There's something brand new about me in my soul, my, 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 my heart. My, I'm renewing my mind. There's something new in me, the scripture says. But there's also something that is not redeemed yet, and that's his body. And this body has great passions that can be used for evil and distort me or move me away from serving the Lord. So I have decisions every day. How am I going to approach the day? And when something comes down the road and I have to make a decision... I have to make a decision, either use this body to pursue something that's selfishness and sinful or use this body to do something that is kind and good to you and thus honor God. You, you, see, the, you see the distinction you have, the choices all day long? And, 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 and the easiest one, and I don't want to get too deep into this because it's embarrassing. The easiest one, though, really is what you do on your computer. That computer is so easy to navigate the things you shouldn't be navigating to, Amen. You have a decision every day, all day long. What are you going to navigate to? This is not just men anyways. This is all of us. What we use that computer for to affect our minds and our hearts and our passion for Jesus. Do I click that button that shows me something inappropriate about sexuality? Present myself to that? Then I've just given power to Satan in my life. Or... Do I present myself to God? God, I belong to you. I'm being tempted. I belong to you. I want to go present myself to my wife and what is honorable to her. Because what's on that computer doesn't honor anybody and it destroys me and destroys her 
and dishonors you and bad reputation. You, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? And this is all areas of life. I just use that one, trying to keep it vague, um, because it's an everyday thing in our lives. We have the power. First, we present ourselves to God as alive from the dead. And then, God, my body is yours to use as an instrument of righteousness. Remember, there's no neutrality. That's a myth. It's either or. Joshua, chapter 24, the end of the book of Joshua. He's led him into the promised land, and they're not doing so good. You know, the first generation died in the wilderness. The second generation he leads in, and by the end of Joshua, they too are compromising their walk with Yahweh. And he says this, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve, and you know me, me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. That's his name. Every day we should make that choice. Almost say that verse every day when we wake up. God, I have a choice today. You have redeemed me, you've made me alive, you've empowered me with your spirit, you've put me among a people who give me hope and joy and power. Today, I choose to serve you. I choose with my wife to serve you. And tomorrow, I don't, and I don't say, well, I said it once, that's good enough. Tomorrow I need to say it again and again and again. You with me on this? I'm going to end now as set up for next week. Essential truth of the renewed image. That's my, my heading. And I put in there foundational. I didn't know to use the word essential or foundational, so I put them both in there. Yeah. Verses 10 and 11. And you have put on the new self, which is being renewed and acknowledged after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. One of the glorious truths that opened my eyes to who I am is that God originally made us in his image, Adam and Eve. Made his image, endowed with something that is God in humans. Gave us incredible value and worth before him. And purpose. And it said there in Genesis, said, you now have children and make more image bearers. And have dominion over the world. This world, this created world, I've put you as the vice regents over. Have dominion and rule over it and lead it. So what did Adam and Eve do with that commission? They gave it to Satan. And they fell and they became sinners. They became submissive to Satan. He became their master. And now Satan, according to 1 John 5, 19, is the ruler of this world. Christ, though, knowing we could not redeem ourselves, we could not raise ourselves out of that pit of slavery, Christ came and entered into that pit as a human being. But he never disobeyed his father. And he then, as the spotless lamb of God, qualified to die for our sins, went to the cross. And by that very act, paid for our sins, and by the very act of resurrection, has power over the devil. He defeated the devil. And he's now drawing us to himself to renew the image that Adam gave away. He's bringing us back to be like him. And I just want to leave it there because that's next week's message. And... Um, 
I just hate kind of being blunt. But that's what we're doing. Do me a great favor this week. Open up and read the Colossians chapter 3 every day. And think through the commands that was given to you. The commands in 3.1 that said, if you've been raised with Christ, seek things above. 3.2, set your minds on things above. 3.5, put to death that with is earthly in you. Give thought to the idea of putting off the old behaviors and putting on the new. And then think through verse 10 that you are being restored to the image of your creator, Jesus Christ. And the ramifications what that means every day. Will you join me in that? Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for these truths, Lord. To the degree that I communicated well or not, Lord, help us this week as we read these chapters every day that you'll just drill these truths into our hearts, into our minds. That I think in our hearts of hearts, Lord, we do want to be instruments in your hands. We want to be your tools to affect people in this world, that you build your kingdom, and we want to be the ones you do it through. Selfishness is deep in us, Father. Continue to root that out. Help us to be honest with each other about the things that we, we still feed at the trough on and get power from confessing our, sin, confessing our sins to one another. Um, your kindness towards us, your patience, your unending patience with us, Lord. Thank you. And with that, we, um, we want to return to praising you. All of this because your son has come. It's in his name. Right.